everybody had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, we certainly did, where Lindsay and I both were able to take some time off and spend time with family and just enjoy, uh, just enjoy being together. So I hope that was the case for, for you guys as well. I'm grateful today to uh, have another opportunity to open God's word uh, with you. Uh, we're in a series in the gospel according to Matthew. We're gonna be in chapter five today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter five. Uh, the series is called King Jesus. Uh, we are learning and growing about what it means to submit to the lordship and the kingship of Christ as disciples of Christ. Um, we are week two today in Matthew chapter five. As a reminder for those who may not have been here last week, chapters five to seven is the most infamous, some would say, a sermon ever ever um, said in the history of mankind, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters five to seven in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And I wanna just say to you today as we uh, um, enter into the second half of chapter five uh, that we are in the deep end of the theological pool today. And so I wanna invite you to think, uh, to, to process, uh, theology uh, that will help ground us in what it means to be truly, uh, to truly understand what it means to be free in Christ. And so um, let's be ready to, to get into this together. I wanna repeat a couple of things uh, from last week. Um, if, you tried, if you missed last week and you tried to get online, uh, we weren't able to get that video or the audio last week. And so if you missed last week, I'm gonna reteach that uh, this week in my office. And that way you guys can get that. But let me repeat a couple things uh, from last week uh, that we talked about. When we think about the Sermon on the Mount, it is one message. It's three chapters in our Bibles, but it is one message. It is one setting. And so I want us to continue to think about this as a message. Every part of the Sermon on the Mount needs to be connected to the main purpose of the whole message and the message that Jesus was proclaiming to people everywhere when he began his public ministry around the region of Galilee is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Change your mind how you think about God, how you think about having a relationship with God, how you think about how God accepts us, how you think about your life and following God. Repent, change. There is a new thing that is happening because the long-awaited Messiah was here. His name is Jesus. Um, Jesus is the reality of real kingdom of heaven breakthrough in our experience here and now. So the Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom of heaven breakthrough into our real life experience. And that's a really important thing for us to grab onto because, because if we take a section of the Sermon on the Mount and we read it in isolation of the entire message, or we take it out of the context that the purpose of the message is kingdom breakthrough, Messiah is here, Jesus is here, heaven has come to earth. What, what happens to people when we take the Sermon on the Mount that way is it becomes a collection of laws. It becomes Moses 2.0. We talked about this last week. We read the things that Jesus is talking about. We separate it from the purpose of the message, which is kingdom breakthrough now, and the Sermon on the Mount becomes a collection of laws. But the Sermon on the Mount is not a collection of laws, as so many understand. It is about kingdom breakthrough in Christ. Uh, secondly, last week, reminder, grace is radically revolutionary. 
And what I mean by that is what's happening in the breakthrough of heaven in Jesus is that real life change, real transformation is not happening from the outside in anymore, which is the Mosaic Old Covenant law. Now the transformation in Jesus is from the inside of us that works its way out into our lives and empowers us from the inside out. Jesus's Jewish audience that was on that hillside that day outside of the ancient city of Capernaum, those Jewish people all believed that to be blessed of God, to be accepted by God, it was all external. It was all based on their own merit. And they would have, that, that's how they grew up under the old covenant mosaic law system. But the new reality, the kingdom breakthrough in Jesus is the message of his grace is not based on merit. It is not based on conditions. He turns that prevailing assumption on its head. This is the new kingdom breakthrough that is happening. So these are two things that I wanted to remind us of before we get to our passage. And then let me just give you kind of the, the overarching big thought of the day uh, is this. The law, Mosaic law, the old covenant law, that tells you what to do, how to behave, how to clean it up, how to get better, how to work harder. The law tells you what to do. The kingdom breakthrough in Jesus, Messiah is here, is grace. Jesus tells you who you are. That's the big transition, the kingdom breakthrough. This is the simplest way for me to try to give this to you. Like this is the breakthrough that was happening in Jesus. Now, contextually in Matthew, four chapters, Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, has been teaching us in the first four chapters who Jesus is. We were over and over and over, this is who Jesus is. This is who Messiah is. This is who Jesus is. When we get to the Sermon on the Mount, now Jesus is going to tell you who you are in him. So for four chapters, proclamation, this is who Jesus is. Now Jesus is gonna tell you who you are in him. And that's the good news that I get to proclaim to you today. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares who we are in him by his grace. And because of newness, because of the newness that we have in Christ, we now have a totally different relationship with the law than the Jewish people did. And we have a new concept of relationship with God and we have breakthrough relationship with each other, which is how the Sermon on the Mount is organized. Here's, a, here's an outline that I found this week that I thought was really, really helpful. Uh, I didn't come up with this. This is something that I found in my own study, and I think this is really helpful for us to kind of get our head and hearts and minds around the entire sermon. Again, the purpose of the sermon is kingdom breakthrough today. Last week, we talked about the Beatitudes or the blessings that we have in Christ, the radical inclusivity for anyone and everyone, any person, any circumstance can come to saving faith in Jesus and be blessed because of Christ. Today, we're gonna to talk about the relationship of Jesus to the law. And it's a really important, especially verse 17, is a really, really important theological verse to understand freedom in Christ, the relationship that Jesus has with the law. And thus, our relationship with the law when we are in Christ, when we have a relationship with Christ, we now have a different relationship with the law than the people in the old covenant had with the law. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Chapter six, our relationship, our relationship to God because of Christ is chapter six. That's new and different. 
And then chapter seven, our relationship to each other in community with each other because of Christ. Beatitudes, last week, Latin word for blessing. The blessing, it's not conditional, it's not, it's not based on merit. Uh, Jesus is giving a descriptor of all the people that were there that day on that hillside and all those people with all their stories and all their baggage and all of their, their stuff uh, was welcomed and blessed. Uh, Dallas Willard, I quoted the full quote last week. Here's a snippet of that. The, and he says the, the, the Beatitudes or the, um, the blessings of Christ single out cases that provide proof that in Christ, Hope and blessing is available in life circumstances that are beyond all hope. Any life circumstance that feels beyond all hope, what Jesus is saying in me, everybody has hope. Everybody is welcomed here. And he's describing who he sees amongst the people. Everyone is welcome. And then there's a transition that happens in verse 17. So when I'm preparing a message for you guys and I know that there's a transitional thought in my notes, for me in my notes, what I do is I bold it in my notes and I italicize it because I know that there's a, there's a transition sentence that's happening. And so I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting to get you from one thought and then we're transitioning to a new thought. When we think about the Sermon on the Mount, verse 17 is a transition sentence from the Beatitudes to now Jesus is gonna talk about his relationship with the law and what he came to do in regards to the law. The old covenant was going away. It was going away and Jesus came to inaugurate by his blood, by his life, his death and his resurrection, the new covenant of grace. And that is the breakthrough. That is the breakthrough. That is the purpose. That is the message that we want to understand. So let me read these verses. If you have your Bibles open, uh, Matthew 5, I'm gonna read 17 to 20. Again, deep end of the theological pool, especially verse 17, and we're gonna hone in on that in just a few minutes. But here's the transition that Jesus makes from the Beatitudes to now his relationship with the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's unpack this really, really important um, passage out of the Sermon on the Mount. There is, again, a transition that's happening. Jesus starts talking about the law. Context of who was there that day. Jews and Gentiles. We spent a lot of time last week unpacking that there was a lot of Jews there and there were a lot of Gentiles there. But when Jesus makes a statement in verse 17 and he starts talking about the law, who do you think he's talking to? 
in the crowd, the Jews. So it would be like this, and I think they were all intermingled, but it would be like this. If, if this was where I was teaching and I knew that the Gentiles were up on the balcony, hello Gentiles, hello Gentiles. And I knew that all of you were Jews here and I'm teaching and I'm proclaiming the message to everyone in the Beatitudes. And then I wanna start talking to just the Jews because only the Jews were under the old covenant of law. The Gentiles were not under the old covenant of law. I would be like, and now Jews, and now all you people, you guys up there can listen in right now because you're here and I'm glad you're here, but I'm talking to you guys right now. Are y'all with me right now? He's talking to people who are under, under that. And he says to them some really, really important things. Now, there's a mistake that we make when we read the Sermon on the Mount and all the, the details that are, that are in chapter five. And there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of detail in chapter five. When we read the sermon and we think, oh my gosh, I have to achieve that. I have to do that to get that. I have to fulfill it. I have to achieve it. Here's the sermon context. The first 16 verses of the Sermon on the Mount is about the blessing, the radical inclusivity of the gospel. And Jesus is describing all types of people and all types of stories and all types of background. And he had just finished saying that is in our weakness, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. He just unpacked all that truth to help us understand this radical inclusivity of the gospel, it's in our mercy, it's in our peacekeeping. That is the new way, that is the breakthrough of the kingdom, not your achieving it, not your own power to do it in and of yourselves. So he just unpacked all that, but there were some there that day listening and they had the power. They believed we are doing this. We are doing this, we are achieving it and they loved their power. They wanted their power and they were using their power to oppress and manipulate people, the Jewish leadership. And so what Jesus is gonna do is he is going to, in chapter five, he is going to raise the perfect standard of the law to such a high, impossible place that no human being would ever think that I've, I've got this thing on the lockdown. I am doing this, I am achieving this. He says in verse 18, not an iota, the Greek word there is sometimes translated jot. It's like the smallest little, the smallest little mark in the old covenant law. Not an iota of it will disappear until everything is accomplished. I would encourage you if you have a pen to underline everything is accomplished. You have to accomplish everything. Verse 19, not even the least of it not even the smallest portion of the law can be set aside. The law is an all or nothing proposition. It is an all or nothing proposition and the perfect law is to be obeyed perfectly, period. Question, have you ever been around somebody that puts perfect standards on you? They just have these expectations on you and you know, you know, I am never, I am never gonna, never gonna satisfy that. 
What's that feel like? Makes you feel warm and fuzzy and like Christmas morning inside maybe, huh? Just kidding. No, it creates all kinds of stress and anxiety and striving and relational discord. Perhaps, perhaps the someone that puts perfection standards on you is actually you. Perhaps you're the one that puts those perfect standards on yourself. My question is, are we at peace there, striving for perfection? I'm not just talking to the perfectionists in the room. I'm talking to all of us. Is there peace in that place? I don't believe so. I haven't experienced it. It's just striving in there. It is anxiety in there. It is anger in there. It is rage in there. Why? Why? Because we can't do it all perfectly. Amen? We know that. We know that. But we strive for it if we're not careful. And I want to say this to you. I want to encourage you in this, but I want to exhort you in this. It's the same Greek word, by the way. To encourage someone is to exhort them. So I want to pastorally encourage and exhort you in this. If you are striving for perfection in your life, if you are working really hard to do all the things for God to accept you, love you, receive you, if you're striving for perfection in a relationship with someone, I'm telling you right now, you truly can't know peace and rest in that relationship if you're striving for perfection. We can't do life, we can't do the perfect law perfectly. Here's the good news of the morning. The relationship of Jesus to the law. Here's the good news of the morning. The good news is that Jesus did the perfect law perfectly for us. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. Here's what that means. That's where the rest is. That's where the peace is, is that Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly for us. Verse 17, I came to fulfill it. We've been talking about this in our study of Matthew. If you read the gospel of Matthew, every single page, I'm reading this page, I'm reading this page, I'm reading this all the way through chapter 28, you are going to find the word fulfill on almost every single page of the gospel of Matthew. Fulfill, fulfill, fulfill over and over and over and over again. Now, when the Jewish people would have heard Jesus talking about the law, the first thing they would think about as it comes to the law is obey the law. They, they, they have a conversation about the law. They're engaging on the law. Their first thing is obey the law, obey the law, obey the law. Jesus said this. He didn't say, I've come to obey the law. He said, I have come to fulfill the law. The Greek word that's translated fulfill can also be translated to make full or to complete or to finish. I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to finish the law. Jesus on the cross of Calvary, his last words on the cross of Calvary before he dies, he said, it is finished. I have not come to abolish. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to finish the law. I, I use this verse a lot. It's, it would be a verse that I would encourage you to, uh, to grab onto, memorize even. When we, when we think about kingdom breakthrough, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, like real kingdom of heaven breakthrough into our real actual life. And what Jesus is teaching 
here in the Sermon on the Mount. Paul says in Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end, the end of the law. And Christ is righteousness, his righteousness for everyone who believes. Let's do a deep dive Greek word study of the word end. Let's do that. Let's, let's dig. And what we're going to find is that the word means end. That's what we're going to find. The end. What's Paul saying? Can, so Paul, this, this verse is written to the church in Rome after Jesus died and resurrected. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 is before he died and resurrected. Here's what Paul is saying in Romans 10, 4. He is saying what Jesus said he was going to do, he did. He ended the law. He finished the law. He is righteousness for everyone who believes because of his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. Fulfilled in Jesus means that we, because he has fulfilled it, that in Christ, hear this, good news, you have also fulfilled its demands. Not because you have done anything, but because Christ has given you his perfect obedience. And we go, oh my gosh, we're liberated. We're liberated. And our concept of following God, for me anyway, goes this, now, okay, now, then tell me what to do. I don't have to do the law anymore. Tell me what to do. Because we're so prone to doing. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And here's what Jesus says to that question. It's in verse 20. I want to read this again with you. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses, goes beyond, is better than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a really provocative statement to the people that were listening that day. The true intention of the perfect law exceeds, surpasses, goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were the most religious people in the country. I mean, those people, those people were having 30 minutes to an hour long quiet time every day and they were journaling. <laughs> they were journaling. And here's what I want you to consider. I think, I think in this statement, we hear that statement and we go, oh my gosh, I gotta be better than those people? I gotta do better than the people that have hour, that get up at 4 a.m. and have hour-long quiet times before all the rest of us wake up? I'm not gonna be able to do that. And we, we read verse 20 and we put it on ourselves. And I wanna help you think, think about it through a different lens. I think Jesus is actually in this verse, calling out the religious arrogance of the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's actually a promise to you and I. It's not a command, it's a promise. And I can tell you that the, the Pharisees and the scribes that were listening that day, that were there that day, when Jesus said that you, your righteousness has to exceed their righteousness, it enraged them. Because they had the thing on lockdown. They were doing it. They were arrogant. 
They were oppressive in their religious arrogance. Exceed us? Are you kidding me, bro? Do you want me to show you my journal? Do you know who we are? Do you know what we do? Do you know about our righteousness? Who are the scribes and the Pharisees? The scribes, the teachers of the law, they read the ancient Hebrew and they interpreted the law to the people. But here's what happened when Israel went under exile in Babylon for generations. What happened is the people of God could no longer read because they were in Babylon over the course of generations, could no longer read the Hebrew language. So they were dependent on the scribes for the interpretation of the law. They didn't even know how to read the Hebrew. And they're like, I gotta do better than those. Those are the people that are telling us what to do to begin with. How am I ever? That's impossible, Jesus. Those are the scribes, the Pharisees, a religious sect who spent their lives seeking to live by every detail of the law. Every single detail of the law they were committed to following. Emphasis on outward obedience, outward observances of the law, but they were ignoring the inner reality of the perfect law of God in their own hearts. They placed their confidence and their ability to do it themselves. And they had certain standards of righteousness and they sought to manipulate others to conform to their standards. They were arrogant. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he raises the bar to a place so that no human being could ever go, I can do that. I can achieve righteousness by my own doing. Here's what I see Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount. As he raises the bar, the perfect law of God, the perfect law of God governs our attitudes and our hearts as well as our actions. It's not just our outward actions, it's what's on the inside. Is that, are you perfectly good there as well? And we see in Matthew 5 um, from verses 21 all the way to the end of the chapter, he raises the bar. He says things like, if you even have anger, if you've got some anger in your heart, you're already a murderer. If you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Like they're like, we're doing this thing. And Jesus, whew, let me help you understand what real perfection actually is. If you want a summary of all the things that Jesus talks about from verses 21 in Matthew 5 to the end of the chapter. It's the last verse of chapter five. And Jesus says this, the summary verse of all the, Jesus is raising the bar, raising the bar, raising the bar. And he ends with this in the last verse in chapter five, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And we're like, Oh, he had just said all these things about not even an iota, not even the least of these things can be set aside. And then he summarizes all these things that he talks about in chapter five. He's like, basically, here's the deal. Be perfect. How's everybody doing? How's everybody in here doing with that, with that reality? How, how's the perfection thing going for everyone? Not, so, 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 yeah, I'm getting there, you're getting there. Be perfect. And people want to think, we want to read that verse and we go, oh, it's hyperbole. It's hyperbole. Jesus didn't really mean that. 
I mean, he knows that's not possible. We're not perfect. There's, Jesus is perfect, but we're, he, surely he didn't mean that. And we think it's hyperbole, but I think he meant exactly what he said. I think he meant exactly what he said. This is the standard of God's perfection. And only one can meet that standard. And it ain't me. So you got me on any kind of pedestal, I'm ripping myself right off of it right now. It ain't me. And with all love and compassion to you, it ain't you either. It ain't us. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. The pure, perfect law that governs our actions and our attitudes. The pure, perfect law reveals our absolute failure to measure up on our own. And it shows you, this is the gift of the perfect law of God. It humbles you. It humbles you. And that's a gift of grace. Because when you can sit in humility and go, I need a savior. And the good news is you got one. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. His name is Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter three, not a very well-known chapter that many of us know about. Paul literally says this in 2 Corinthians chapter three, that the ministry of the old covenant of law, he's talking about the 10 commandments. And this is what he says. He goes, the law, the law, here's what it is. It's the ministry of death and it's the ministry of condemnation. And he's teaching people to understand in 2 Corinthians 3 that the law has no power to declare anyone righteous. It condemns us. It helps us understand our lack. It helps us see our need for a savior. Galatians chapter three, Apostle Paul, the purpose of the perfect law of God is this, to lead people to Jesus. That's the gift. That's the grace of the holy perfect law that governs our attitudes and our actions is it helps us see, I need, I need a savior in my life because we realize our total inability to keep the law ourselves. Um, we love that hymn, Amazing Grace, don't we? When we sing it, we love that, that old hymn. But grace, grace can truly only be amazing. It can, you can, it, you only experience the amazing part of it when you realize how much you need the unmerited favor of God. Not the merited favor, but the unconditional, unmerited favor of God. The gospel of Jesus cannot be precious to us until we realize how much we need Jesus' perfect life, his death in our place, and his resurrection when we realize how much we need a savior and how much we need forgiveness, the gospel becomes precious to us. And I pray that it's becoming more and more and more precious to us. Here is the good news of Matthew 5, verse 17, that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Christ has fulfilled the perfect law of God for us in our place, his life, death, and resurrection. 
And because of that truth, God, the Father, has imputed his righteousness to you. Not because you've earned it, not because you've done anything, but because of grace. The perfect obedience of Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that perfection has been given to you. God has imputed his righteousness to those who believe. And that's the good news. And that's the good news. And that's the good news. I wanna show you a verse in uh, Philippians 2, 3. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And he says, for it is God, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Who does the work? What is Paul saying here? Who's doing the work here in this verse? Me or or us or God? God, God's doing the work. God is doing the work for us, in us, so that we are enabled, we are enabled, we are empowered to actually fulfill in our lives, in our real lives, God's purposes on the earth and God's purposes that he's given to each of us. God's work, his gracious work, empowers us to exceed, to surpass even the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. How does this happen? How is it that we, us, can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because of a new relationship with God in Christ, because of the empowerment of his grace, because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us. God is working in you, church, giving you the desire from the inside, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases God the transforming, renewing of our minds, work of Christ working in us, in us, and it works itself out into our lives. Here's what I want you to know from Matthew 5. Jesus says very clearly that you need to be absolutely perfect according to the law. And the good news of Christianity is that God puts Jesus's perfection in you to will and to act. And so what I want to help you understand is that this changes our being. This, this great exchange that it's not about my doing, it's about Jesus's doing and I can receive Jesus's perfect obedience on my behalf. And so when we get to a verse 48 in chapter five, and it says, be perfect. If we're not rooted and grounded in the kingdom breakthrough that is in Jesus, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start going and trying to be perfect. But what I want you to understand about that verse, it doesn't say do perfect. It says what? Be perfect. Be perfect in our hearts, in our souls, in our bones. We read that verse and we think, oh my gosh, I can't be perfect. It's not a command, it's a promise to you. Be perfect in Christ, in his perfection, you are given the righteousness of God. And then as disciples of Christ, here's what happens. 
as we know Christ, as we, as we are disciples of Christ, as we come under the lordship of Christ, transformation looks like this. Our doing more and more and more as we grow, as we mature in grace, starts catching up more and more to our being. The being is set. The being is locked in. The being is yours. The righteousness is imputed to you because of Jesus's perfection, because of his perfect life, action and attitude. He fulfilled the law, church. He finished the law. It's not, that is not on you anymore. Jesus has given you his perfection. And so you are, your being has been given and imputed righteousness. And our doing starts catching up with our being the goodness of God begins to transform us. The grace of God begins to transform us. The mercy of God begins to change us, literally change us, like our life begins to change the more we understand our being in Christ. And we become, we become real, authentic salt and light. Not striving Salt, not, not religious posturing and hiding and performing salt and light, but like actual, real, transformed salt and light because the change is happening on the inside. Following Jesus is not religious posturing and performing. Following Jesus is learning the, the authenticity of what it means to be loved of God and then as a response to be loving toward people, to receive the compassion of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the grace of God and to be transformed and then to see that lived out in our life in an authentic way. It's heaven to earth. It's heaven to earth. It's the breakthrough. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's heaven to earth. When people see you and they go, oh my gosh, that, that's real, authentic salt and light. Like I sit here and I listen to little Radley read that passage over us and his grandmother Kelly be up here. And I go, oh, that's, that's real joy. That's real joy that Kelly has. You know why I know that? Because I know a bit of her story and it's not been easy. It's not been easy. It's real, I mean, that, would you guys agree? That's real authentic salt and light, encouraging the people of God. That's real, it gives me chills to even think about it. Going beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees is not a curse, church. It is a promise. And in Jesus, you're already there. You're already there. Grace tells you, the law tells you what to do. Grace tells you who you are. It is the blessing of grace in Jesus. It is the blessing of being free in Christ. It is the blessing of knowing who we are in Christ so that we are truly enabled to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes for us. It's not about striving. It's not about being like a, you know, strong Christian. It's about being and believing, receiving, 
and then going with Jesus. And Jesus said this, look, I didn't come to give you a heavy yoke. Like, it's not about, I'm not, I'm not giving you more to do. I'm giving you something to believe that is light and easy. And that changes, not just your life, changes the whole world. Changes the whole world. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we want to understand in a, in a thoughtful way, in a more liberating way of what you mean in verse 17 of chapter 5 of Matthew when you said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to finish it, and to give people my perfect obedience so that they truly would understand rest and peace. It is only by grace that we are declared perfect, righteous, right standing with God. And Lord, if anyone in this room is tired of performing and striving and believing wrongly that we have to merit your acceptance of us, God, your love for us, God. Lord, we, by grace, we wanna root out anything that's not of the grace of Jesus. And I just declare the message that grace tells people who they are. They are liberated. They are forgiven. They are accepted. They are welcomed. They have been given rest. They have been given peace. And so, Lord, I pray that if anyone in this room doesn't know the rest and the peace of Jesus, that they would come in faith to receive mercy and grace and salvation today. So I just proclaim the saving reality of kingdom breakthrough in Jesus, Messiah. You are the Lord of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray that you would stir faith today, strengthen faith in your people, and that you would fill us with your spirit as we stand and respond and worship to the truth of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.